Hi, I'm Dr. Avanti Kumar Singh. In over 20 years of practicing both Western medicine and Eastern healing traditions, the most important thing that I've learned is that healing is a journey we take together. So on this podcast, I'll be demystifying Ayurveda and other integrated medicine, showing how these simple ancient practices are the keys to unlocking a healthy modern life. We are all healing catalysts because healing starts within. It starts with you and it starts right now. This is a Soulfire production. Episode number 72. Welcome to December and welcome back to the Healing Catalyst podcast. It's so great to be back with you, my beautiful, beautiful friends. I cannot believe that it's already December of 2022, my friends, and what a year it's been. Actually, I'm recording this episode on December 2nd, just a few days before you'll actually be hearing it, and just a few hours before I board a plane to go to Iceland. I'm so excited on a yoga retreat with my good friend, Tara Stiles. It's actually a trip that I planned way back in February when December really felt so, so far away. And I can't believe that it's already here. You know, every year when the calendar switches to December 1st, I begin to reflect on the past year. It's just sort of this automatic mode I go into. I actually block time on my calendar to spend some time every single week in December reflecting on a different aspect of my life. And this first week, I'm reflecting on my work life. Specifically yesterday, which happened to be December 1st, I was reflecting on this podcast, you know, why I started it two years ago, what I've learned, the challenges, the lessons, the hard stuff, the good stuff. And here's what I know. This podcast has stretched me in so many ways, but really in three main ways that I really want to share with all of you because you're my podcast community. Number one, it's helped me to learn how to communicate even better because you all can't see me. You can only hear my voice. And so I have to rely on my words and how I say them, my tone, my authenticity, my honesty to convey what I really want to share with all of you, because I know that you can hear it in my voice, but you can't see me. Number two, it's helped me become an even better listener because to interview guests and to really pull stories and experiences and wisdom from them for all of you to learn from and for me to learn from requires deep listening. And number three, it's helped me to really release expectations because growing a podcast from scratch with no audience when I started and no advertising since I started is a very slow and challenging process in such a noisy world where provocative shows get thousands of downloads starting with episode number one, no joke, or where having the biggest names as guests is what gets sponsors and wider distribution, which I definitely did not have when I first started. In fact, I didn't really get those really big name guests until the middle of last year in 2021 and into this year. And so I've really had to rely entirely on my own gut instincts and my team, who they're incredible, to really trust deeply that my purpose is the reason to do this podcast, that it's the most important thing. And to trust that as the field of dreams saying would go, if you build it, they will come. And so in honor of this journey with the Healing Catalyst podcast that I've been on with all of you 
my beautiful community of listeners these past two years. And because a new month around here means a new intention on the podcast, I decided that the new intention for December is the healing journey in which we're going to go back together through this past year of 2022 and the incredible journey that we've been on together on this podcast. You know, this past year of 2022 has been one of exponential growth for this podcast with incredible guests that are thought leaders in every field of integrative medicine and integrated healing with our downloads increasing steadily month over month and with our community nearly tripling in just seven months. Like no joke, it has been an incredible, incredible process and so gratifying for me and my team to witness. And so to celebrate all of this, each week in December, we're going to present a compilation of a different topic, a sort of best of type thing with excerpts from our most popular episodes of this past year so that you can listen and learn again from our incredible guests and their priceless wisdom to help you round out this year of 2022 and get ready for a new, vibrant, optimally health-focused year of 2023 with so many important learnings from this past year. And so this week, we're diving into our first compilation, The Healing Journey with Energy, with three of my guests from this past year. First up is Michael Taylor, who talks to us about using movement as medicine, specifically through Tai Chi. Next is Indu Aurora, who is an Ayurvedic practitioner and yoga therapist who explains the energy body and marma therapy and really this idea of marma therapy being the portal into the energy body through the physical body. And finally is Dr. Kulreeth Chaudhary, a neurologist and Ayurvedic practitioner who talks to us about the healing power of sound. I hope that you enjoy this compilation on the healing journey with energy with my guests, Michael Taylor, Indu Aurora, and Dr. Kulreeth Chaudhary. This first excerpt for the healing journey with energy is with Michael Taylor. Mike is the co-founder of Strala Yoga and has practiced Eastern movement and healing techniques, including Tai Chi, Qigong, and Shiatsu for more than three decades. In his younger years, Mike challenged centuries of martial arts traditions in hundreds of competitions by applying unruly imagination to a world where rules were unbreakable. He continued on to medical applications of the mind-body connection, studying mind-body medicine at Harvard and alternative medicine and psychology at Oxford. Mike then worked in healthcare for some time, joined a web company, and then founded a pharmaceutical and biotech software company. Now, Mike has found his way back to healthcare done right, helping people let go of stress in their bodies and minds to become their own best caregivers. Mike climbs a few mountains in his spare time and is married to Strala co-founder Tara Stiles. In this excerpt, Mike and I talk about movement as medicine and how Tai Chi teaches a way of being in your body and moving through the world. We talk about the concepts of softness and ease and how to create harmony with your breath and body, as well as a four-step process of using Tai Chi in our everyday lives, how to access the medicine of Tai Chi. Here's Michael Taylor. Maybe let's back up and talk about the differences between Tai Chi and, and Qigong, but even, you know, some of the, what you mean by foundations, like educate us on, on what all these different terms mean and what, what the differences are. 
Sure. Good question. <laughs> <laughs> You're good at asking the good questions. So, uh, you know, learning Tai Chi and Qigong, I'll just keep saying Tai Chi, although often Qigong is really the, the bigger term that refers to all of it, but I think more people know about Tai Chi. So mm -hmm. it, it may be that's the, the great main term to use for now. But there's a process for this, which uh, begins with noticing, hey, what's going on in me? Uh, what's going on around me? But really first, what's going on in me? Got to see that first. I've got to feel that. I've got to notice the communication signals, messages my body's sending. And there's a how-to for that in Tai Chi and Qigong. And then uh, the next part of this process is, well, how do, I, how do I move with that? How do I navigate through what I'm doing? I'm taking what I'm noticing now, and I want to move with it in a good way. And so there are foundations. There's a how-to of moving, as you already said. Uh, and moving is not just uh, in a set of Tai Chi or Qigong forms. That has many contexts. So it's in every context, whether it's everyday human life, getting around a kitchen or driving or standing in line at the grocery store, or sort of special things that we all like to do, like, you know, uh, one person might love CrossFit or high intensity interval training. Another person like me might love high altitude mountaineering, whatever the sort of human things that we love doing, the special practices, there's a how-to for that context too. And then there's specific Qigong and Tai Chi practices that you practice on your own and also in connection with other people. And then there's uh, martial and healing applications. So there's many contexts for this movement. And then the third part of this process is you're hearing the messages, the signals. You're connected to the signals that your body is sending you and your environment is, is giving you. You're moving in, in a way that's harmonious, that's helpful for you there. And that signal plus movement leads to a transformation. Somehow you're making here better, and you're also making it better to be here. And I know that sounds like a bit of double talk, <laughs> but they're two, it's kind of cool. They're two really little bit different things. I could tell, uh, you know, just, just through your, uh, your body language, I, I can see you like, yes, I get it. Yes. You know, so I hope that yes. makes some sense. Yes. And then the last part of that process is repeat because we're never done <laughs> with that. And it's, it's never a binary. Oh, well, I'm hearing all the messages and I'm moving wonderfully and transforming wonderfully, or I'm not. We're always somewhere in a circle there. Okay. So, so many profound things that you said just now. Let's go back to this. Okay. So let's take this theory that you've just presented, which is beautiful and profound, and let's make it more applicable. So tell me what that means. So give us an example so that it becomes more practical for me and for my listeners who don't know enough about Tai Chi to really understand what you're talking about. This is awesome. You sound like Tara, like, so, <laughs> so what, Mike? <laughs> I love it. Uh, so yes, each one of those categories in, in the process, the notice, the move, the transform, repeat, has a set of how-tos that you'll find in Qigong. And they're big. Uh, it's a big set, but always there's really simple beginnings. So the noticing, uh, we all have our own ways of, of hearing the messages our body sends to us. 
uh, you know, I'll tell you a, a little story back when I was doing uh, long before I met Tara, I was in deep in a few different yoga systems. And so we'd sit there, we'd sit down cross-legged, fire up our best mudra and, you know, get the posture and everything and <laughs> rock steady. And, you know, your, your ankle would start to hurt or my knee would be hip. Um, but eventually those, those sensations would go away right? I wouldn't feel it anymore. And so, uh, you know, talking about these experiences, it's like, oh, you've transcended my, that's what the, <laughs> the guru in charge would tell me. Oh, you've transcended because you are not this body. You are not those messages. You have now progressed to a, a higher state, the, your true state. And of course, for you with your medical background and, and anybody who's studied a little biology, uh, you're, that's not transcendence. That's just when you ignore uh, pain in your body, that loop start, stops firing eventually. You know, it's your body in normal language. It's, oh, you're not interested in that message. Okay, I'll stop sending it for now. Mm -hmm. Until the imminence of a greater level of harm presents itself. And then I'll come back and try again. Exactly. Uh, this is your body talking to you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so, uh, that's the beginning of noticing in Tai Chi and Qigong. It's okay. There are all these signals, all these ways of communicating that your body has with you. Some of which we may have ignored for a long time. Some of which we may not be in tune with as much as we like. And, and that begins with just slowing down enough that I have a chance to breathe a little deeper. Mm-hmm. Sounds like the most silly, simple thing in the world. But remembering to do that, remembering to breathe a little longer and a little deeper on your inhale. Use that to feel around a little more because a deeper inhale is unusual. So you will feel a little more with that breath. And then on your even longer, even more unhurried exhale than usual. Let a little something go. Release a little. Relax a little. Improve something a little. Improve your position, your posture, the way you're sitting now. Your ankle hurts? Change it. There's a constant in Tai Chi, which is never suffer a bad position. We're not here to practice suffering. We don't need to be better at suffering. We're too good at that already. We're too good at ignoring the messages that come through our body saying, don't do that. So we're like, well, I can do that. I'm strong enough to do that. I can push through just to get that done. And then I'll listen. Well, I can tell you from my, my transcendence experience <laughs> before, that path doesn't work so well. Uh, so the very beginning in this process of Tai Chi to make it concrete is creating a relationship between your breath and your body that moves you. And I'll tell you, there's a step before that. It's called softness. So this noticing is softness and relationship between your breath and body that moves you, helps you feel, notice. Softness is a big concept. Mm -hmm. And every time we talk about this concept, uh, so often people say, well, but I don't want to be soft. <laughs> that sounds bad. It sounds weak. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, 
there is this concept softness is it's being a pushover somehow not standing up for what you want or going for what you want or what you believe in and uh so it's a word that needs to be learned in a different way and sometimes people when traveling around with Tara, people will say, well, in German, there isn't a good word for that. Or in Spanish, there's not a, you know, or whatever language, because with us, it, it means a not so good thing. And really in all the languages, there's always this challenge of, well, how do we understand? And maybe it's not with one word. So softness in a Tai Chi or Qigong context means bendable without always bending, movable without always moving. It means that I'm not so rigid that I get in the way of myself. And you can interpret that and use it literally. I'm not holding tension and locked up muscles and flex muscles and locked up joints that prevent me from moving even before I try to move. And then it's also figurative. It's I'm not locked in my mind so that I'm immovable. Uh, You want to be movable so you can Mm -hmm. be moved. My mind is exploding, by the way. I just want you to know, like my brain is exploding. So keep going. Anyway, I, I'm listening. <laughs> Ooh, wow. Okay. It's a big practice, right? It's, it's a big practice. And, you know, what I'd say is, so there are these, there's softness, there's practices for softness in mm-hmm. Qigong and Tai Chi. There's practices for creating this relationship between your breath and your body in Qigong and Tai Chi. Even when the concepts are mind blowing, and even when I, I sometimes I'll take these concepts and I'll be like, what was I doing for like 10 years <laughs> or longer? Mm-hmm. I'm embarrassed to say to you the real number that came to my mind. Uh, it was longer than 10 years, but you know, it's so even when it's mind blowing and even mind blowing positively, it's like, wow, well, what about the next 10 years? Right. What's beautiful about the mind blowing in these concepts is the practices are simple. Yes, they are. So if you've ever taken a sharp inhale when you're surprised, guess what that sharp inhale did? It lifted your whole body as a whole body. Or when things aren't dangerous and you just, you just need to relax. Mm-hmm. You've gone, ah. guess what happened to your whole body when you did that like a human being? Instead of how I was taught to practice in some rooms, your whole body would move together with your breath. There would be no part of you that was rigidly separate or holding some idealized form or position. As a human being, when we take breaths that way, inhales that way, exhales that way, when we jump up and down when we're cold uh, mm-hmm. or we need to wake up, uh, all of those things are done with these foundations of, of Qigong, a relationship between your, between your breath and your body that moves you, a body that's soft enough in the first place to be movable, a body that moves in harmony is one whole body, not a disconnected collection of parts that need to be individually fixed or manipulated. All of these things are in our biology. They're in our nature. We might've ignored that nature for a long time. Right. And so what you're saying is, is very interesting because that is actually our human nature to move in that way, right? To have that startle response, right? Or to have that relaxation response, but it is drummed out of us as we get older, you know, in this modern world that we live in to not allow ourselves to respond in that way. 
to have that coordinated breath body movement um, that you're describing. That's that's what's coming to mind for me because I can see little children, you know, your daughter, my children when they were younger, even as young adults, they still actually have more of a practice and ability to tap into their breath and their body more than I do as a 50 year old. Right. Um, so I, I see what you're saying exactly. And so it's almost like it's a practice of being human, right? I love it. <laughs> you're ready to go on tour. Yeah. So that's a step. That's the first step, right? This idea of awareness, right? And so what's the second step for this concrete sort of application of Tai Chi? So then there are foundations for movement. Hmm. And the first two are part of the noticing, the softness and relationship between your breath and your body that moves you. And then as small movements lead to bigger movements, you're moving your whole body from your center not from mm. your extremities. So you don't move an isolated hand or foot, arm or leg. Large movements begin from your center and then ripple out through the rest of you. If you take a rope and you kind of just hang it, suspend it from one end, and then you jiggle the rope, you'll see a sine wave develop down that rope. You'll see ripples go down that rope. And then if you take your, your hand and you clench it around the middle of the rope, You've created a block in the rope. So there's a bit of rope above your hand and a bit of rope below your hand. Uh, let's say I'm doing that with my left hand. And with my right hand, I'm holding the top of the rope. And I start to make that jiggle of the top of the rope. But my other hand is in the middle of the rope. That wave will only go down to my hand that's blocked the rope. Right. And then below that hand, no wiggle. <laughs> there's right. no wave propagation. This is high school physics. So what you want in qigong and tai chi and maybe as a human being when you start your effort from one place you don't want to have a bunch of blocks of wave propagation in your body you want the effort that you put into one place to easily propagate through all the places and so that's when tai chi and qigong talk about moving from your center and moving your whole body as one whole body that's what's meant by that Here's a practice that says never suffer a bad position. Here's a practice that says if something isn't comfortable, isn't working, is causing suffering, is intolerable, change it. And here's how. That's big. That's mm -hmm. this transformation part. You're always using these practices to make where you are better. In a big picture, not just for you. But there's no, there are no lines in Tai Chi. One of the constants with Tai Chi is every line you turn into a circle. Never meet force with opposing force. Uh, it's never just you. It's always everything that's going on around you. Everything is here for you when you see it and you work with it in a sustainable way. So what you're saying with this idea of transformation of never suffer a bad position is when you have, you have that awareness, you, you, you have the movements, the foundations for movement from the middle and all these different concepts that you've talked about, but then to basically the transformation piece is adjusting. So even if that movement, if it causes suffering, you adjust it and then you start back again. Is that, is that sort of what you're talking about? Yes. 
Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> you're always seeing what you're doing and, and there's a, there's a measure, there's a, uh, is this working? Mm-hmm. You're making me think about this in a new way, which is really cool. It's, it's, is this working? And it, it right. makes me think of my dad. He was a MIT PhD uh, in math. And mm-hmm. the way he picked the field of math that he would uh, study is at the time, it was the, the, the field of math that was considered completely impossible. So that's the one he wanted to do. Uh, and he always said, oh, that's fine. But what, what I love about math, there are elegant ways to do, uh, to do what you're doing in less elegant ways, but there's a right or wrong. There's a feedback that you get that says this is working or this isn't. And that's a, a beauty also with uh, these martial and healing arts that we're talking about with Tai Chi and Qigong. You get immediate feedback of this is working or this isn't, especially as you carry what you're doing in connection with another person. The next excerpt for this compilation of The Healing Journey with Energy is with Indu Aurora, my teacher, mentor, and friend. Indu is an Ayurveda and yoga therapist. She's been teaching yoga philosophy, yoga therapy, and Ayurveda for over two decades, since 1999, and has studied both yoga and Ayurveda in India in a traditional Guru Parampara setting. Her teaching style is rooted in empowering and inspiring her students to awaken their inner guru. Her core philosophy is nothing has the greatest power to heal but the self. She's an international speaker and teacher and is the author of three books, including her most recent Yoga, Ancient Heritage, Tomorrow's Vision. In this excerpt, we talk about marma therapy, which is an Ayurvedic practice of using the marma points or acupoints to keep the channels of energy open and flowing through the human system. Indu explains the connection between marma therapy and acupuncture and how we can harmonize the body using energy at marma points, which are the junction points between the physical body and the energy body. Here's Indu. So maybe we can start with, you know, what is marma therapy? Can you explain what it is to the listeners? Yes. I'm trying to think, you know, at times we can give a technical definition. Mm -hmm. The thing about technical definition is it doesn't stick to you. (laughs) It has to be some real life example. Exactly. Listeners, just look around in your, wherever you are sitting right now and think of, the electricity, there might be some kind of electricity flowing and some kind of light or conditioning, temperature control, you know, that is happening that is either heating or cooling or maintaining a certain thermostat. And there might be certain light, maybe it is blue light, maybe it is yellow light, doesn't matter, warm light. What is the source of all of that? That energy that is moving, providing heating or cooling, providing warmth and light or intensity of light The source of all of that is electricity, right? That electricity is flowing through wires. And that electricity that is flowing through wires reaches a certain hub. And you can change the nature of that electricity and you can turn them into, turn that into the kind that changes the heat into cold or cold into heating, or that can change that electricity into light, or that can change it into sound. You can change the, you know, those kind of dimmer switches mm-hmm. that you can up and down. I, I don't want to use dimmer here because, you know, dimmer means like as if you're dimming something. Think of it more as a rotary control where you can up and down. Mm-hmm. All of that is going to a major electricity hub. 
where that particular, even these tiny units of electricities are connected. Now I'm not, well, I am the daughter of an electrical engineer. So no wonder that that comes to my mind. <laughs> but here's the deal. We all know this aspect about electricity. Now connect it for a moment. The word for human being in Sanskrit is prani. Comes from prana. What is prana? energy. So what are we? We are pranic beings, beings of prana, which means being of energy. This is right there in the term. That energy that at its core is a consciousness transforms into polarity. Positive, negative, you can think of as north and the south pole. You can think of it as sympathetic, parasympathetic. You can think of it as prana and apana. That same electricity goes through wires, you can think of as a nervous system. It goes through that, which these nervous systems are called nadis, the subtle nervous system. You use this term avanti in the beginning, mm -hmm. nadis. The word nadi, actually it comes from nadi. Nadi means river. So river or stream of what? River or stream of nada. What is nada? sound. What is sound at its subtlest level? Energy. So what is flowing through these subtle channels? The electricity that is prana. This subtle energy, it starts to shift and change at a certain point. That plug point, that rotary point, that toggle switch where you switch on and on. It transformed at a, at a certain point and becomes physical, the energy of the tissues, which Ayurveda is called Saptadhatus, seven tissues. The same energy, electrical energy, is now transforming into chemical energy, is now transforming into thermogenic energy, is now transforming into different kind of energies, which in Ayurveda is called Prana, Tejas, Ojas. The energy that simply flows, the energy that carries intelligence, the energy that with this force of cohesion moves along. Ojas is that glue that keeps it together. Tejas is the inner content of it that is intelligence, that is consciousness. So marma point, now we are coming to marma point. Marma point are these toggle switches. Marma point are these rotary switches that is the calibration point of the electricity. What should we convert it into? Let's convert it into earth. Let's convert it into water. Let's convert it into vata, pitta or kapha. These are the points from where you can dial in and calibrate the flow of the electrical energy into what, what will harmonize the body, what will harmonize the breath, what will harmonize the emotions. Everything that we do in yoga, asan, pranayam, breath practices, relaxation practices, even mantras, mudra practices, any practices, even in Ayurveda, the application of herbs, the application of oil on the body, the certain practices that you do in the morning or in the evening, the tongue scraping, applying oil in the nostril, every single thing becomes nourishment, communicates with the body, physical, mental, emotional, through the gateway and the interface called marma point. Mm -hmm. So marma point are the eyes of the subtle body on the physical body, the access points. Mm -hmm. 
Wow. That's amazing how you just explained that. So it's the access points to all of this. Access points, calibration points, the point which is a bridge between the subtle and the physical. You can, you, there, is, there is more than one definition, but hold on to one. Because when we try to hold on to many, the mind can get confused. Whichever sits in your mind and connects with where you are, hold on to that. But without murmur points, the physicality of the physical body stays physical and we stay stuck in the physicality of the body. It is the murmur point that is the bridge through which we transform physical into subtle. And through which the subtle reserve, the, the reservoir of the subtle energy and consciousness flows as realization in the physical body. It is the main interface. It is the main bridge. It is the main connector. It is the main calibrator. Mm. Yeah, that's amazing to think about it, that it's the bridge. It's the junction point is what I read also, is that it's sort of that junction between the physical and the subtle or the physical and the energetic almost. So let's stop for one point before we, we start going into Marma. I'd love to ask the question because I have a feeling many people are wondering, what is the difference then between Marma therapy and acupuncture? Because many people are you know, more familiar with acupuncture. So how do you describe the difference or similarity between those two therapies? That's a very interesting and valuable question. So acupuncture is one of the modalities of marma therapy. There are many ways to transform the knowledge and know to, uh, to transform the understanding of marma into therapy, into healing. At times it is done through pressure, at times it is done through puncture, at times it is done through application of herbs, at times it is done merely through meditation, at times it is done through concentration. So there are many ways to work on a marma point. That is point number one. Mm -hmm. And one of those methods is acupuncture. What's the difference? The difference is in the scope. When we think of something just as therapy, we are only trying to bring a, bring a balance. Our focus is just to regain homeostasis for allostasis, right? For thinking about, uh, for coming to a point of balance where the body's intelligence can discern how much do I need to eat? How much do I need to uh, sleep? How much do I need to work so that I have en enough energy for future allostasis to allocate the resources? That is therapy. But the scope of marma is, it is more than therapy. Its scope is consciousness. Its scope is self-realization. Its scope is not everything can be healed through therapy. And what if something cannot be healed? Does that make us incomplete? At times, you know, when we focus on just healing and just therapy, we forget that we are more than physical body. And as mentioned, the word for human being is prani, beings of energy, beings of prana. That is our core. And that energy can transform into physical and become the body, or we can take the other route and go into consciousness. And that is the scope of marma, that it provides us a channel, a gateway, a path to the real self with capital S. 
So that is the slight difference when we start viewing it as something which gives us the view and access to consciousness, not just therapy. Mm. So it is it is great. I acupuncture is great. I have personally received so many benefits from it. There is no denial about uh, the therapeutic power of acupuncture. But the point, and it is a you know, I'm playing <laughs> with the word here. Yeah. <laughs> the point is don't miss the point. When you are in that healing session, don't just take that minimal benefit that I'm feeling better now. What is the source of this betterness? What has it triggered that has unleashed the flow of energy? And this same energy can be transformed into consciousness, can make us, can make me meet my consciousness. So this is where I would see similarity and difference. Don't make it just another therapeutic tool. It has a bigger power potential end goal. Mm -hmm. It's so much more than the physical that you might experience in any, in, in either therapy in Marma or in acupuncture, but yes, in acupuncture, there is very much a focus on what is the, the benefit that I can feel in my body or in my mind therapeutically from that treatment versus what I think you're saying, and correct me if I'm wrong, you're saying that with Marma, it's so much more than that. It is the ability to go into your consciousness and to alter or maybe benefit the consciousness. To realize the consciousness. To realize. Is, yes. We, we cannot change the consciousness. The consciousness simply is we can just wake up to it. We cannot wake up the consciousness. We can wake up to it because mm. it is never existing. When we say uh, waking up consciousness or transforming consciousness, no, nothing happens to consciousness. We are awakened to it. Mm. And that is, that, that is a difference. And yes, absolutely. It is the way I look at it or the way I see it is, it is just a side effect of marma, marma knowledge of marma, that it can bring your body also into balance. But it is not the, uh, it is a very limited scope of it. Does not mean I'm discounting the therapeutic power of it. What I'm saying is there is more. Keep moving. Keep, don't settle for less. It is, it is promising you that state of awareness, that state of discernment. Don't settle just with pain relief. Don't settle just because I can sleep better. It is great. It's wonderful. But now that you are even more embodied, even more empowered with healing, what are you going to do with this state that you experience? Move on. Keep moving. Don't settle for less. Okay, so let's make this a little bit more practical in the sense of it's, it's very theoretical and, and I understand what you're saying, but let's also make it a little more practical. Let's just say I'm coming in for a Marma therapy session. What, what happens at a therapy session and what should I expect? You know, sort of like, what am I supposed to do with that information that after I have a therapy session with you, if it is not the goal to just focus on the immediate pain relief or better sleep or what have you, those are all great effects, as you said, but Let's talk a little more specifically. I think the tool that is utilized to benefit what is the immediate goal of the person 
changes from person to person. So marma therapy is not a specific kind where someone lies down and someone touches certain points, although it could be one of the ways. But someone with the knowledge of marma can introduce that marma therapy to you through asanas. So the benefit could be that now you have more strength, more core strength, more muscular strength. The benefit could be that now you have more flexibility, the kind of flexibility, not just flexibility because the kind of flexibility that gives a better range of motion for you. So that becomes the access point and immediate benefit. But what is the other side of it is that you realize that, oh, that healing came from my own body. Just I knew this movement. But now I know this movement a little bit differently, which means that how I move matters or where I focus matters. So now I did not just learn about an asana or an asana that everyone is kind of trying to do in the same way, but I learned about something powerful in my own body. So what it's doing is it's reducing dependency. And maybe temporarily, I'm shifting dependency and now the dependency is asan. So I feel that with time, uh, I feel that someone, a therapist who has the understanding and realization of the scope uh, will try to keep in mind not to create dependency and share with someone who is participating that, hey, now you received this benefit by moving the body. Now, you know that you can also save this energy and receive the same benefit lying down on your back and simply concentrating on this point and simply remembering a mantra, a sound. Oh, even that may be a little bit more utilization of concentration and thought power and slowly saying, sharing that, oh, you can also do this simply by becoming aware and focusing And as you focus, instead of using the sound, use the breath. So what I'm trying to say is that you get different access point, but the core remains the same, that you feel empowered, that you come to know so much more about your body. And over a period of time with this realization, there is that knowledge and there is empowerment that you you learn that the source of healing came from within. And the therapist is just a facilitator, just a point, someone who is pointing, but you don't get attached to that finger. You don't get attached to that tool. So there is, so the other benefit of it is knowing about yourself, that what else is there in the body except for muscles and joints and hinges and skin and internal organs that beneath all of this is an energy framework and knowing that energy framework unleashes the power of medicine from within healing from within but more than that realization yeah and so i think what you're saying is that you know this is an energy network right there's 117 marma points am i wrong (laughs) No, you it's not it's not wrong. It depends upon which text you are picking. It could be 107, 107 plus 1 and it could be 1008. So it depends upon 3 300 plus. It depends upon which text you pick, but the common consensus or the classical number is considered as 108. Okay, 108. So there are these marma points that are connected by the nadis, right? 
And so it is a whole energy system. And what you're saying is that all of these different tools, right? Whether it's meditation or asana or breath or mudra or mantra, any of these techniques, practices, tools, you can access those marma points and make a shift in the energy body, in the energy system, which then leads to realization of consciousness. Am I sort of summarizing a little bit of what you mean? Yes, 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 absolutely. That through the awareness of this network, Mm -hmm. Through these points, the word marma itself means sensitive, which means it automatically draws your attention towards that point. If you simply become aware of your body, automatically the attention will rest on one or the other of the marma point. And a simple way for those who may not know about it, oh my God, where are these 108? Because when we say the number, naturally the curiosity arises. Where are they? And then what are their names? The simple way, my dear listeners, is to just know they are the center and they are the ends. Wherever there is a center, there is a marma point, the center of the point, the center of the palm. Wherever there is an end, the end of the palm, which means where it joins the wrist, the end of the forearm, where it joins the elbow, the center between the forearm and the elbow, the center between the elbow and the shoulder, wherever there is a center, there is a marma point, wherever there is a joint and transition, there is a marma point. Okay. So it, it's an easy, so it means they are at a point where the energy is shifting, transforming and becoming something else. So yes, it is an energetic framework. And it has minor marma points, which control more basic, minor, everyday functioning of the body, which are in the periphery. And then there are major marma points, which are in the center, in the midline. And they control the major functions like digestion, excretion, reproductive system, circulatory system, uh, cognition, sensory, sensory motor, sensory function. So the, the main marma points which are in the center are related to main functions. The main, the peripheral marma points are more related to motor functions and uh, activities of daily living. So yes, the knowledge of marma point can make your everyday life richer because it affects your it can benefit your digestion it can benefit your sleep it can benefit your energy levels it can benefit your concentration and the tools and the methods are many uh, but the point is one and there is no precise point right to two fingers above two fingers below it is individual and what is that individual? Wherever you feel is the center, wherever you feel is the end. Hmm. And so it's, it's this idea that when you can understand that you are an energy being, you know, getting back to this idea as, of energy as medicine is that we are all energy beings, right? It's almost like there is an energy body upon which the physical body has been created. It's the blueprint in a way. And when you understand that you are an energy being, this being of prana, as you said, it opens up the way that you can look at healing, 
right? Because it, it becomes so much more than a medication or a surgery or, you know, all of the things of Western medicine, which are very useful. And at the same time, it empowers you as a human being to take some of that healing into your own hands because you can access the energy that has created you or that you are created of in a way. Yes, absolutely. I have just one last question for you. You know, the, the name of this podcast is The Healing Catalyst. And so if I offer up the phrase to catalyze healing, what comes up for you? To catalyze healing, stay curious. This is our superpower, human being superpower. If we were not curious, we would have not invented anything. We are where we are because of the gift of curiosity. This last excerpt in this compilation of The Healing Journey with Energy is with Dr. Kulreeth Chaudhary, who is both a neurologist and an Ayurvedic practitioner. She developed a powerful system to manage chronic neurological disorders such as multiple sclerosis, Parkinson's disease, and migraine headaches by incorporating fundamental changes in diet, behavior, and stress, in addition to the standard Western allopathic approach to these issues. Kulreeth is the author of two books, the Prime, and her latest book, just released this past year, Sound Medicine, How to Use the Ancient Science of Sound to Heal the Body and Mind. In this excerpt, Dr. Chaudhary and I discuss the science of sound and how it affects the body, as well as the history of sound as medicine and its therapeutic applications in both Western allopathic medicine and ancient healing systems. She also shares a powerful chakra mantra meditation at the end of the episode that she says has transformed not only her life, but the lives of hundreds of her patients. Here's Dr. Chaudhary. Let's start at the basics. Like what is the science of sound? So like what is sound and how does it get translated into these neurological impulses in the body and the brain, you know, through the, the mouth, the ears, the brain, maybe you could explain, you know, first what sound and then how does it get translated? Sure. I think I am only recently beginning to understand sound. And that's because you have to have a pretty strong understanding of quantum physics to really understand sound. Before you understand sound or before you go into the science of sound, you might think, well, sound is whatever I hear, right? Sound is whatever my ears capture, the waves that my ears can capture, that they then can be translated into signals by the brain that are auditory, meaning we can translate them into an experience of that we call sound in our brains. But that would mean that what your dog can hear that you can't hear isn't sound, right? Right. And that there's animals that both create sound that we can't hear and receive sound that we can't hear. So you have to start expanding your understanding of sound so that it includes a deeper appreciation of like the fundamental reality of life, which is vibratory that even in many spiritual traditions, like even within Christianity, they talk about how first there was the word, right? And so the word represents that sound. And so sound is the vibratory nature of life, meaning that before we are solid, before our entire world is solid, it exists on a frequency level. Okay, frequencies of vibration. And some of those vibrations we can hear, 
And some of those we cannot, but all of that is really sound. And, you know, when people struggle with that concept, I, I use kind of the sound that we are hearing inside of our mind as an example, mm-hmm. that that certainly sound, you can hear it. And, you know, from modern psychology and even modern neuropsychology, we know that the dialogues we create with our mind on a subconscious level are some of the strongest influences on our behavior, as well as our overall health. So that sound is created inside of your mind, but like I can't hear what you're thinking, right? But it right. still has a vibratory frequency. Sometimes you can feel what somebody else is thinking, mm-hmm. right? So it's, ex- it's exerting an influence and we can even capture the electromagnetic fields created by those thoughts in an EEG, right? So we, we, we know there's evidence of it being emitted outward. And so when we start to look at sound as something so fundamental to the nature of life, then you start to realize like, wait, hold on. There's technologies that can come from an understanding that life is vibratory that could then influence those vibrations, right? Waves influence waves. Mm -hmm. And it's this fundamental understanding of the technology of sound that, you know, I studied when I was in South India, looking at the Siddha medicine records. And I was just astonished because when you first start looking at those records, they seem very poetic. They're, I mean, they're beautifully, beautifully written. Um, But then you start to realize they're actually recounting quantum biology. So the biology of quantum physics poetically, you know, so it's like, whoa, talk about, you know, people who had full use of left and right brain. And from their perspective, they were able through their consciousness and through their deep meditations, they were able to connect to the vibratory code of life and then pull the frequencies that had specific healing effects. And that's where the tradition of mantra came from. They are really just sounds. They don't have actually an inherent meaning, even though we've given some of the meaning when we go down to the Bija mantras, which are the seed sounds, they have no meaning. They're just pure frequencies that have almost, you know, I look at it as it's, it's almost like nature's prescription, right? If nature is your doctor, this would be nature's prescription for if this is what's going on in your body, use this sound. If this is what's going on in your life, use that sound. And to me, it was just astonishing when I saw the overlap between what the quantum physicists of the last century had discovered and then the vocabulary that, you know, the Siddhas were using and to realize that they had figured this out on a quantum level. And so the sound practices were some of the strongest medical technologies that were being used at that time. And unfortunately, they're really missing even from Ayurveda in, in, in modern Ayurveda, they're completely missing. And, and they're really the foundations of, of modern, of all Ayurveda. Right. Okay. So there's so much to unpack there. Let's, let's back up for a second. So <laughs> I, I think what you're saying is that because everything in life is vibration, has a vibratory frequency, which is energy, right? Yes. Am I wrong? I mean, And that, you know, I mean, in Ayurveda, we say that humans, all beings are made of the same five elements that are all energy, essentially, Mm -hmm. right? So I think what you're saying is that because we are all energy and sound is energy frequency, that's how it 
can affect us because it's waves affecting waves. Yes. And it's, it's not just because everything is energy, right? But there's denser forms of energy. So as we get to, and we know this, as we talk about the five elements, when we go from ether to earth, that they're all different forms of energy, but they're getting denser and denser and denser and denser. Right. And so then by the time we get to this physical body, it's the densest form of energy. But what, what is so unique about sound is it's the subtlest form of energy. So it's associated with the element of ether and it's associated with of the five koshas or the five um, sheaths it's associated with the anandamaya kosha which is the bliss body Mm -hmm. so sound frequency sound vibration is associated with the subtlest of all energies and what we know is that when you when you attend to disease or you attend to thought on its subtlest levels, mm-hmm. that is where you have the greatest influence on the grossest level. Right. And so I look at it as if there's anything that you want to change, not that you don't have to look at food, right. And not that you shouldn't be looking at which supplements to use. And you, you know, you should definitely be looking at what are the mental patterns. All of that is very important work. But when you also incorporate the use of sound, you're working from the subtlest all the way to the grossest. And without the integration of sound in Ayurveda, you're missing the most powerful healing modality. Right. And so this goes back to this idea that the energy body is the blueprint for the human body. So you're going from that subtle to the gross is what you're saying. And so when you work at this subtle level, at the energy body level, that has the potential to create great transformation in the the gross body, which is why, you know, things like acupuncture and energy medicine and all these healing modalities that are working on that subtle energy, you know, the prana level, that's why they work so well. Absolutely. But even when we, so even when we look deeper at that, like when we look at the pranic sheath, which is the second innermost covering, sound is even more fundamental Mm. to that. Mm -hmm. And that's why I embrace all of this. I say, you know, you, I would not recommend like only using sound techniques without changing your diet and doing the Mm -hmm. other stuff. I wouldn't recommend that because those shifts would be so massive. And then like the densest parts of you would have this kind of accumulated explosion of energy to deal with. Mm-hmm. And so I recommend that you work on all levels. I like using the analogy of like different kinds of bonds. Like when you break um, chemical bonds, like look at gunpowder, it releases a certain amount of energy, right? Mm-hmm. And then when you get into like breaking nuclear bonds, right? Mm-hmm. Which is the release of nuclear energy. Look how massive the explosion is. So sound, you could say is kind of like breaking up the nuclear bonds. It's re- sound can rearrange your energy structure at its subtlest levels, but you don't want to release such a massive amount of energy without also working like on the body and on the mind. So it's really bringing like the holistic part of medicine to the deepest part of your whole, right? Which is like the most fundamental part. And so I I just feel that in, in Ayurveda, we do such a great job of diagnosing the doshas, giving the recommendations for the food, giving the recommendations for the herbs, you know, but to not include a sound practice is really, it's depriving people of one of the most powerful tools that they could use. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. It's mind blowing to think about it that way. I don't know that I've ever thought about it that way. So thank you for that. There's also this incredible connection between memory and so the mind, right? And what we think, what we remember and sound, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. What's that connection? Like, how does that influence our physiology? I mean, because it can happen from the time that you're in utero, right? It it does happen from the time Mm -hmm. that you're in utero. Yeah. And, you know, this is why it's so important for mothers and fathers to be speaking and singing to the baby, because that's when all those neural networks are being formed. And a relationship is already being formed Mm -hmm. between the baby and the parents through sound. But sound, the reason why it's so important to the mind and memory and why it has such a strong impact on mind and memory is where sound comes from is even more fundamental, or you can say transcends the mind. And so it comes from a level of consciousness that is even beyond the mind, which is sometimes hard for us to comprehend because so many of us identify with just the mind. We identify so much with just our thoughts that we don't necessarily think that we're anything beyond our thoughts, but there's levels of consciousness that are even subtler than our thoughts. And sound really communicates to that subtler level. And so when you use sound therapeutically, you can access areas of the mind that are not even available to your conscious mind. Mm -hmm. And of course, like the media industry does this all the time. It's why there's certain musics that are associated with certain ads that make us want to purchase, you know, those items. Mm -hmm. There's certain music that makes you eat more at restaurants. Um, If you took sound out of a movie, you would have almost no emotional response, right? To the movie, or there would be a dulled emotional response to the movie. Even silent movies still had sound music associated with them. So it's not that this technology is unknown. It's being used at us all the time. Um, But we're mostly the passive recipients of sounds. We're not really the active creators of sound in our life, you know, not on a conscious and intentional way so that we, we make sound do for us what we want it to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Fascinating. And so, you know, your point is that this is technology that has been used for thousands of years. So before we go to, you know, the, the thousand year old technology, let's, let's fast forward to Western medicine and how how we see it, you know, used in Western medicine, because you're saying, you know, we use this in all kinds of things, whether it's from advertisements to restaurants to basically things that persuade us to do certain things, right? That's yeah. how music and sound is being used. So how how is it used therapeutically in a Western medical setting or from a Western perspective? You know, I was almost stunned at my ignorance, but I was looking at this because there's all of these sound therapies that you and I know. And then we're like, oh, wait a minute. Those are sound waves. Like, right. duh. You yeah. Know? yeah, of course we're using this, you know, ultrasound, which is used very frequently diagnostically or therapeutically lithotripsy, which is used to break up kidney stones or gallstones. Those are all sound waves. You know, and now there's even newer technologies where they're treating conditions like uterine fibroids um, in an MRI, using an MRI scan where they're focusing sound waves to dissolve 
the tumors. And even within the cosmetic industry, and I haven't done this yet, but I want to try this so badly because I'm like, you know, I'm fascinated with every use of sound now, but there's cosmetic procedures, they're non-surgical and they just apply sound waves and it increases collagen formation just simply by using sound as a beauty tool. Now, sound is also used. Now, those are all examples of inaudible sound. And we tend to be heavy on the inaudible sound side in medicine, although there's still so much more we could be Mm -hmm. doing with sound. Mm -hmm. Um, But even on the audible side, music therapy is being used to help stroke patients. There's a specific type of neurogenic um, music therapy, and it helps the brain to rewire following a stroke it's been used. Music therapy has been used for conditions like dementia, for traumatic brain injury. And the findings are so remarkable. They're so positive. And it just stuns me that they're not getting more recognition because they're good studies. There's zero side effects to this. And we're actually reversing conditions that traditionally in medicine, we have considered to be neurodegenerative conditions that have no treatment. So we're starting to see these little peaks of how sound can be used, but it's just in such an infant state. And, you know, the reason is because the science hasn't caught up when our science starts to embrace the biofield, you know, the newest theory in science that we're not just the physical body and we're not even just our thoughts, but that we have fields of energy, which of course is the same thing that, you know, the Siddha medicine and, and Ayurveda, they have been talking about the koshas, which are just fields of energy, but that when we embrace the science of the biofield, right, that we're waves of energy, different layers of energy that influence our cellular structure, then you can start to develop the technologies. Without the science, you don't go really far in the technology because you don't know why something works. And if we don't understand why something works, it's hard to hypothesize other ways of how to use it. Right. So we're just on that, we're on that brink. I'm hoping we, we make that leap during my life lifespan, you know, but even if we don't, I'm glad that at least I was able to write this book that, you know, may play a, a small ripple effect down the line, you know, towards people starting to think about it that way. Yeah. And, you know, I think you bring up such a good point because, you know, these sound therapies inaudible, like you said, you know, so many of us have experienced them, not just as practitioners and physicians, but, you know, patients going in for an ultrasound, right? Treatment or diagnostically, and not even realizing that that is sound. The word sound yes. is even in the word. It's, it's even in the term. And we still didn't catch on. And we still didn't. I mean, you know, and so like that is sound therapy. And it's not just the audible music sound, because I think that that is actually what most people probably when they started this episode, when we were, you know, saying we're, we're going to talk about sound medicine are going straight to music and the things that we hear and or mantra or which are all very important. But I think it's so important to point out that we have been using this in Western medicine. So this is not some like woo-woo out there sort of concept. Western medicine uses this. Uses it, but doesn't know why it works. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And that's, I think that's your whole point. So then the question becomes, how do we use this? How does somebody who's listening actually take all this information and make it usable for them in their everyday? Let's get practical. You know, 
mantras? How do we use them? How do we figure out what we need? I mean, part of it is collectively, it's just simply going to take time and evolution, right? This is how you'll be able to go more and more to your physician's office to have access to these therapies, but you don't have to wait for that. First of all, we're already using this. It's just, we're using this unconsciously and without purpose. So whenever people say, well, what's the first thing I can do about, you know, embracing sound medicine? I would say, well, look at the way that you speak, you know, because Mm -hmm. that is sound that you create every day. And that's some of the most important sound that we create is through our speech. So how are you speaking to other people? And when you really begin to look at the way that you're speaking to other people, that will reflect the way in which you speak to yourself. Mm. Um, You know, if you speak with an angry, impatient tone, you're speaking to yourself also with an angry, impatient tone. Another thing is just look at how is music being used in your life? Like, are you listening to music that would create a lot of anger or fear, you know, because that those are the lyrics, that's the kind of music that they're generating Or are you using music that creates kind of a peaceful environment? And if you're not using music, why aren't you using music? I listen to music almost all day long when I'm working, when I'm driving, because I know that that is influencing my brain. So I'm getting smarter. I'm getting, you know, greater neuroplasticity doing nothing really. I mean, just passively listening to the music, like when I'm cooking and then in choosing that type of music. You know, I tend to listen to different types of mantras because from a scientific standpoint, they just seem to be the most powerful, but like listening to other traditions like Gregorian chants and so forth. And then finally, the most powerful thing you could do is start a therapeutic sound practice. And because much of what I studied was around the science of mantras, that's typically what I teach. But the chakra mantra, which I teach in the book is, I mean, that's like just a shower for all of your energy bodies. Like we, you know, we, we won't leave the house without taking a physical shower. Why would you leave the house without taking a shower for all your energy bodies that also tend to get debris on them? Mm -hmm. So that's usually my go-to prescriptive mantra is just a chakra mantra. And I'm, I'm happy to share, you know, how to do it. That would be great. Would you mind sharing that? Not at all. Okay. So it's a very simple mantra. And it connects all of the bija mantras with the each of the chakras with both the male and female energies that exists within all of us. So it's a very, very balancing mantra. Okay. Now, because it's so balancing, it's very powerful. And I was surprised because I learned this after decades and decades of meditating. And I was still shocked at like how much of a reset, mm-hmm. you know, it created. So the instructions for this is do it for five minutes a day. Okay. And then when you feel after a few days, you feel comfortable, increase it to 10, wait again till you feel comfortable, increase it to 15, then eventually to 20. Don't do more than 20. Just like you don't have to be in the shower for two hours to get clean. Yeah. You don't need more than 20 minutes for this to work. Okay. Can I, can I stop you for one second? Can you explain what a beach mantra is or what a beach sound is before we go into this? Absolutely. So a beach mantra is a sound that has no meaning. And it's a primordial sound. I mean, it's a seed sound. So it's kind of like um, if in nature's orchestra, if you had just the absolute single note of music, that's what a bija mantra is. But from that bija mantra, you can build like anything you want out of that. So even if you look at an analogy of a tree, 
it's the seed of the tree, meaning it contains the full potential of the entire tree. Right. Okay. So it's a very powerful use of sound. Thank you. Um, and thank you for reminding me. I know sometimes, you know, I'm so familiar I, I with these terms. We, like we say these terms and it's like, wait, what do you mean? What, it, what, wait, what is a beach? Right. Mantra? And yeah. I know what that means, but I want to make sure the listeners are like, what beach? What? No, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And because the sounds I'm about to teach you, because they're so primordial, which means they're, they're just so fundamental. They release a lot of energy. So when you first start to do this, many people will go, Oh, that meditation didn't work for me. I had a lot of anxiety come out or I had a lot of anger. And I'm like, Nope, that meditation worked perfectly. Mm -hmm. So you can have kind of emotional detoxification, physical detoxification. And that's why you just go slowly. Okay. So when you do this, you can start first by doing it out loud and eventually you want to do it silently. And if you want, you can even start to visualize each of the associated chakras. And I can send you a copy of the sounds, mm -hmm. um, the words of the sounds and the chakras associated so that people can look at it. That's amazing. Yes. We'll link that in the show notes. So Perfect. thank you. And you don't have to start from the very beginning though, where you have to focus on the chakras first, just learn to just repeat this mantra a few times, and then I'll give you all the notes on how to practice it. Hari Om Nam Lam Mam Vam Sim Ram Vam Yam Yam Ham Shiva Om Swaha Hari Om Nam Lam Mam Vam Sim Ram Vam Yam Yam Ham Shiva Om Swaha Hari Om Nam Lam Mam Vam Simbram Vam Yam Yam Ham Shiva Om Swaha. So normally when you do it for longer periods, you would come out of it, you know, much, much more slowly than what I'm doing today, mm -hmm. because you do go very, very deeply in with this mantra. And you'll notice that it's fairly short. It's meant to activate the center and then move the energy. Right. So other mantras are done a little bit more slowly, but this one really is for kind of going in, shaking it up and then moving the energy, mm -hmm. you know, upward. So right. this would be what I would consider one of the most powerful daily sound practices to do simply because you're, you're addressing every major energy center. Mm -hmm. in the body. Yeah. And so you're moving from the, the root chakra up mm -hmm. is yes. what, what you were doing. So just so people can visualize that. So what you're saying is as you're saying the mantra, each portion, you can actually visualize the associated chakra, which will yes. be in those notes. And so yes. that can also keep you moving because that visualization also will move, help move the energy as well. Absolutely. Your attention when you, when you add um, intention and attention to sound, that is how healing becomes very powerful. And the reason I like this mantra is because it's, it's balancing each of the chakras. And each of these sounds, by the way, they're associated with the five elements. So they actually balance all five elements and all three doshas as a result. But it's, it creates a loop. 
So the idea isn't just to move upward, but then you start again right. down below. And so it creates this loop. So you don't become, you know, unbalanced by having too much energy, mm-hmm. you know, up in the upper chakras. I see that with a lot of people yes. who are meditating, but they're very, very ungrounded. Yes. And that's why I like this is you're accessing the higher realms, but still firmly grounded right here on earth. Feels like this is a good place to end and with such a powerful reason to start using mantra and using this practice that you've just so generously given to all of the listeners and to me um, is that, you know, if I offer up the, the phrase to catalyze healing, which is the mm. name of this podcast. Love it. Yeah. What comes up for you? That it depends on the strength of the catalyst. The the transformation always depends on the strength of the catalyst, right? And when you are using sound, you're using, in my opinion, and from the research I've done, the strongest catalyst that nature created. There may be stronger catalysts out there, but I don't know that we're necessarily all ready for them meaning that those types of catalysts probably require a lot of preparation before you are given those, mm-hmm. you know, and oftentimes those might be given like through a spiritual tradition, but just for the everyday person like you and me, and for people who have kids and do their taxes and, you know, go to work. I mean, what a gift to be given like these samplings of the strongest catalyst that nature has to offer. Thanks again for listening to The Healing Catalyst. If you love what you heard, please hit follow and pass it along to a friend. And if you're feeling really inspired, please rate and review so that others can find this podcast more easily. To learn more, head to avantikumarsingh.com. And to connect with me directly, find me on Instagram at avantikumarsingh. I'll be back next week and hope that you will be too. Until then, remember, with the right catalyst, you have the power to activate your own healing because healing starts within.